Good morning, all. I am reading from 2 Peter today, chapter 3, verses 11 to 18, and um, we will be concluding our series today from 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Currently said, this brings us to the conclusion of our time of journeying with Peter. We've worked our way through both of his letters, and today is both a bit of a summary from last week, but also then the conclusion to it. And as you can see, I have entitled this "Live Like Jesus," because he's coming. The implications of all the prophetic material we have been looking at. Let me invite you to bow. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the ministry of your spirit, for the salvation we have in your son, the Lord Jesus. As followers, as his followers, we desire to be obedient and this morning, Lord, instructed. We sit at his feet and ask that he might open our minds and our hearts to receive truth, not just in our heads, but in to impact our wills, to influence um, and to transform our behaviours and actions. We ask this in his name and for his glory. And everyone said, by way of reminder, that's not it, Gary, that's the wrong one. That's last week's. You want to turn that off and find the PowerPoint if you can, if you can't? This will be interesting. Last week we spoke about the promise um, of his coming. The promise is that the Lord will not only come, but the world will end. And uh, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The very first verse in the Bible talks about, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Within the first three pages it tells us all about that. You go to the last three pages of the Bible, Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. That which God made and has brought into existence, the universe in which we now live, this material universe with all of its laws of physics and everything else, will be gone. 
there will be, it'll be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be different to this, and we're only given slight glimpses. In verse 1 of Revelation 21, it says there'll be no more sea. I wonder if that's literal or if it's a picture of no more chaos, no more um, division between countries, no more uh, evil or wickedness in our world. And that's certainly the case. They'll be filled with righteousness. Just like we can be born again, regenerated individually, so our universe will be born again. It'll be regenerated. So that's the promise. Then there is the prediction. When will this happen? Well, we fall into three categories here. There are some people who say they try to set the date. It's going to happen this year. It's going to happen soon. And they're quite fanatical about it. And they focus on those sorts of things. There are, like Peter says in chapter three, there are those who say it'll never happen. The scoffers who deny it. And then, of course, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, then most of us, all Christians, I think, believe the Lord Jesus is returning. And so it's going to happen sometime. It might be delayed, it might be a long time in coming from our perspective, but it will happen. And so just to remind you of what we spoke a little bit about last week, it happened once when God destroyed the world by the flood. So why shouldn't that happen again? And it will, because he said it would. I pointed out last week that God destroyed the world with the very elements that already existed in the world, the water. So too, he has reserved this second destruction of the entire universe with the elements which are already there. He doesn't have to create anything new, he just has to release it. As the first world was destroyed by water, so this world will be destroyed by fire, the Apostle Peter tells us. All of the neutrons and electrons will fly apart, explode, nuclear things all over the place. I read a scientist during the week who said, and I, I'm not a scientist so I can't really comment, but he said... If we could only find the right combination of things, we could set off a chain reaction and the entire universe would be destroyed in 40 minutes. That sounds a little too quick for me, but that's what he said. That's already there. The same God who said that he would destroy it by water is the same God who says that he'll destroy it by fire. It will happen. Like I said, it may seem slow because God's timing is different to us, but it will happen. He tells us, verse 10, that he will come like a thief. So, have we got it yet? Not yet. Verse 9 says to us, just to remind you, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. There it is. So he is patient with us. And his patience leads to um, the opportunity for us for salvation. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, unexpected. The heavens will disappear, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, it'll be exposed. You can't hide your works and you will be brought before him for judgment. So the purpose of prophetic literature, the purpose, is not speculation, it's motivation. It's rather unfortunate that some people... It's a foolish thing to do, but some do it. They go from one prophetic conference to another. They read prophecy books one after the other. They take notes and they mark their Bibles and everything else, and they know a lot about it, and yet they're not living a life to the glory of God. They're focusing on the details. They're speculating about the end times when it's not impacting how they are living. And that's certainly Peter's desire in this chapter as he writes to them. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, 
What are the implications? What sort of people ought you to be? See, it's not speculation, it's about motivation, it's about transformation of our behaviour. And he gives us a clue here, which will expand in verse 14. We are to be holy and godly in our lives. All true Christians, all true followers of the Lord Jesus believe that he is coming. We have different views on some of the details and the sequencing, but we all agree that he is coming, just as he said. And understanding that should have an impact upon us. If we truly believe that this life will not last forever, then it must have an impact on our present. That's certainly Peter's logic. As that great theologian said in one of his movies, Russell Crowe, what we do in time echoes in eternity. It's true. What we do in time will echo in eternity. It'll have an implication and an application there for us, whether it's rewards or whether it's positions or however that works its way out. This life is just not a trial run and a waste of time. It's in fact preparation for our eternal destiny. And three times in this passage, verse 12, verse 13, and also in verse 14, Peter draws an emphasis to this idea of because we're looking forward to it. Verse 13, he repeats it. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to it. And he says it again in verse 14. But before I go there, I wanted to go back to verse 11 to emphasise this. Peter basically says to us, I want you to make every effort, not some effort, every effort to be holy, to be godly. I want you to make every effort to live godly lives. There are four points, that's point one. Make every effort to live a godly life. Number two, verses 15 and 16 when we get to it, make every effort to take the opportunity to share the gospel. Make every effort to take the opportunity while we are in this world to share the gospel. That's the focus. Thirdly, verse 17, make every effort, make every effort to be on guard. Look out for false teachers and distractions and delays and everything else. Be on guard. And then verse 18 is make every effort to grow. And as I thought about those four points, those applications, the first two fit together and the last two fit together. The way we live, make every effort to, be, uh, to live godly lives and to take every opportunity to share the gospel go together. Because how we live impacts how we share the gospel. Our life will either be attractive to, it'll either amplify and enhance our verbal testimony or it'll contradict it. How we live impacts how we share the gospel. And being on guard and growing in grace and knowledge impact one another as well. We grow by being on guard and we are on guard when we grow. One impacts the other. So what kind of people ought we to be? Let's go to verse... Sorry. If you can read quick, that's the message. Done. Let's pray. Everything will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people ought you to be? Holy. We are so familiar with these words. What does holy mean? Simply it means set apart, separate, different. Not better than, different to. And it's marked by our choices and our values. What does it mean to be godly? It means to be devoted to God, to be um, strongly affectionate towards him, to love him, to be godly, is to desire to please him, to respect him, to honour him. 
In other words, we're to be spiritual people, not materialists, not selfish, not grasping, not living for only this life. As we live here between the trees, as I call it, tree of the garden, tree of life in the garden, and the tree that's coming in the end of the world, the new tree of life in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. As we live between these two trees, we're to be in actively cooperating with God in helping to save the world. We have a role to play in it. We are not called to sit and soak until the second coming, but we are to be a shining light in this very dark world. And Peter calls us, in verse 14 particularly, for this to be, um, to make every effort. There is this diligent application, not some effort, as I said, but every effort, to live for what lies beyond this world, not just for now. And so Peter, from looking ahead prophetically and saying this is how it's all going to end, he brings us back to the here and now of what are the implications for us. And he says in verse 14, amplifying what does it mean to be holy and to be godly, he says we are to be found by him to be without spot, to be blameless and to be at peace with him. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 19, that'll be the exact description he uses of the Lord Jesus. He is the lamb who is spotless and without blemish. He is the perfect sacrifice. And so Peter, by this language, is saying to us that we are to become like him. We are to be Christ-like. Just as he was spotless and without blame, so we are to grow in him. And that's certainly God's will and purpose for us. Romans 8.28 is that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. And John, the apostle, tells us in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, uh, that when Jesus comes and we see him as he is, that we'll be transformed to be like him. Everyone who has this hope in them, John writes, will be pure as he is pure. Prophecy is not about speculation, it's about motivation, to be transformed in the here and now. And Peter writes, then do we are to be at peace with him. <clears throat> Romans 5 verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, peace with him. We're made right with God through our relationship with Jesus. That's what some of us need to do. Some of you will need to come to Jesus for the very first time. Some of you will need to return to Jesus because you've been drifting or compromising or whatever. And for many of us, all of us, we still need to be right with him, walking with him. So it's peace with him, we are right with God, but it's also the peace of God within us. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks about, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, present your requests to God and the peace of God will guide your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God can be ours. When we walk closely with him, we don't need to be anxious, we don't need to be stressed, we don't need to be worried. We are because we're fallen creatures, aren't we? But we don't need to be. That's the promise that he gives it to us. That as we appropriate that in our life, then it does help us deal with our anxieties, with our stresses, with our worries. We carry those needlessly. And I know that's easy to say. And I do it. I'm not saying I don't. But I don't need to. I'm making... Foolish choices when I choose to carry that by myself, when I have a loving Heavenly Father who says, Give it to me and trust Him. There was a, a, an African American lady, um, an elderly lady, who had no stresses and no worries. And doesn't matter what happened to her in her life, 
She was always calm. The pastor asked her, what's your secret? She said, whenever I get stressed and worried about things in life, I simply pray and I give it to him. And if he's got it, I don't need it. And for her, it worked. So I'm just reminding you of it. And it's like, uh, well, we know that truth. Are we appropriating that truth to our life? So the peace with God, peace of God. The Lord Jesus promised us in John chapter 16, my peace I give to you. Wow, the peace that he had. And of course, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace. The Holy Spirit within us wants us to be at peace, at peace with him, at peace within, at peace with one another. In fact, every New Testament letter begins with that wonderful promise, grace and peace to you. If we really believe our future destiny is to be holy then surely it's going to be evident in our current behaviour. If we really believed it. So Peter says, make every effort to be godly. Secondly, make, oops, make every effort to share the gospel. This comes out of verse 15. Bear in mind, Peter says, that the Lord's patience, him delaying the return of the Lord Jesus, means salvation your salvation, but also salvation for other people. That's what it means. That's exactly what Peter says in verse 9. The reason he hasn't come back is a compassionate reason. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance and he involves us in that process. So we are to make every effort to share the gospel, to cooperate with him in spreading his word. Just to remind you, we have a mandate from Scripture to spread his word. So allow your voice and your actions to speak in a powerful way to represent him. That's what his delay means. That's what living in this life means. And then Peter marvellously uh, quotes Paul um, and calls him our dear brother, Paul. So here are Peter and Paul, two apostles, who are in close relationship. And if you know their story, then there was a time when they had a falling out. But now, towards the end, years later, they have been reconciled and they are supporting each other. Um, and he writes about Paul in a very strong way. But notice this in verse 16. He says the same things that I'm saying to you, Peter says. And then he says in the middle, in the middle his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. And everybody goes, uh-huh. We still find some of the things that Paul wrote hard to understand. So too for Peter, having said that. There are a couple of paragraphs in his letter, two letters that are very difficult to be strongly certain that that's what it means. There are different views and so on. But I want you to notice the connection between Paul's letters in that, whatever colour that is, that greeny colour, and then he's, Paul, uh, Peter equates Paul's letters, which are circulating and they're being read and being distorted by the false teachers, as they do the other scriptures. In this verse, the Apostle Peter is putting the letters of Paul on the same level as scripture. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, you'll rem I'll remind you about how Peter talks about the holy prophets. That's Old Testament. How he talks about the commands of the Lord Jesus through his apostles, that's the Gospels. And now in verse 16, you've got a reference to Paul's letters being associated with the scriptures. That's our confidence. So 
We are to make every effort using God's word and being true to God's word to share the gospel with people. We are to be on guard that we don't um, twist the scriptures like others do. We need to learn how to read scripture and to read it correctly, following, you know, the grammatical, historical, cultural processes. Taking scripture as it was written, allowing for there to be poetry and symbolism, metaphors and parables, prophecy as well as narrative. Scripture contains hundreds of figures of speech which you will need to understand the culture to get it absolutely correctly. So we never stop learning. We go on. And it's very simple. Let me encourage you to, to be on guard, to take the opportunities to share the gospel by making sure you read the Bible and you know the Bible as best you can. It's a very simple book to read. It's like any book. But it'll take you a lifetime to master, and even then you won't have mastered it. George Mueller, you would have heard of, a mighty man of prayer, he read the scriptures through over 100 times in his lifetime and never failed to learn something new each time he read it. So let us be Bible believers and Bible readers. Who is writing? Who are they writing to? Why are they writing? What's it about? And so what? What does that mean for me? Because that's the bottom line of the scriptures. Not just giving us head knowledge, but it's to impact and change our lives. Peter goes on to say, make every effort, therefore, to be on guard. Don't let these false teachers twist scripture or anything else. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, you know the end is coming and you know there are false teachers about and you know they twist scripture, be on guard. That you won't be carried away by their error or their lawlessness uh, or move you from your very sure foundation you have by standing on the word of God. That's what Peter is writing. Verse 18, he says, not just be on guard, but grow. Continue to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. What Peter is saying is make every effort to grow. Make every effort to live holy, godly lives. Make every effort to share the gospel whenever you have the opportunity until Jesus comes either for you or returns for the world. Make every effort to be on guard. Don't be uh, overconfident or lazy. Read God's word and be true to God's word and check God's word out. And make every effort to grow. Keep on growing. That's how Peter began the letter way back in chapter 1. He spoke about, in verses particularly 7 to 10, 7 to 11, somewhere there, he spoke about, add to your faith goodness, and to goodness add knowledge, and to knowledge add, and he has a list of seven things, self-control and so on. Continue to grow. Don't rest. Don't back off. Continue to grow. The Christian life is one of continually learning, growing and changing, being transformed. And there is a link in our growing between grace and knowledge of a person, of the Lord Jesus. It's as we have an increasing focus on who he is and what he did and what he wants of us that we will be on guard and that we will be growing. Spurgeon spoke about this in a couple of his different sermons and he says this, so i just repeat some of his points. Our spiritual growth is not measured by weeks, months or years or by our feelings. It doesn't happen automatically. We've got to make every effort to grow. 
Bear in mind, we progress at different rates. Not everybody grows at the same things. He says we are like trees. Sometimes we're growing up and flourishing. Sometimes we're growing down and deeper with our roots. Sometimes we're strengthening, we're growing out and becoming stronger. We grow at different rates and at different times, but we are all to be committed, making every effort to growing. Don't assume, Spurgeon says, that just because you are older that you are growing in grace. In fact, he gives a very strong warning that scripture is filled with the saints who often tripped up. Abraham, Lot, David, and he has a few other examples, were seniors. They were older in the faith. So just because we're getting on in years, don't assume um, that we are beyond stumbling, falling. Make every effort to grow. Uh, Growing is not measured by our works or our service alone, but it's balanced by our devotion to him. It's balanced by our relationship with him, knowing him. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, the Lord Jesus set aside his 12 apostles and he gave them a mission, twofold. One, to be with him. Two, to send them out to preach and to share the gospel and to cast out demons. That balance is what gives us our growth to be with him and to be sent out in serving him. Don't focus just on serving him and going out and being busy in the work of the kingdom. You need to have time alone with him. You need to be growing in a relationship of who he is and what he has done and what he is like. As you age in years, you should grow more and more in knowing him and appreciating him. Like a married couple. The longer I stay married to Rhonda, then the more I get to know her, the more she gets to know me. That's how it works, isn't it? That's how it's supposed to work. So too in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's how it's supposed to work. Spurgeon goes on to say that growth and grace is, being, is intimately connected with our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So question, do I know him? Do I walk with him? Do I seek to be near him throughout the day? Because the more you get to know him, Spurgeon says, the more you will love him. And if you know him, truly know him, you will trust him. That's like the story of uh, the disciples in the boat with the storm and he's asleep at the back of it and they come and wake him up and they're frightened. You know, Lord, don't you care that we're going to perish? Which he says, why are you afraid? If you know him, he delivers you from unnecessary fear. Peter walking on the water unbelievable walking on the water sees the wind and the waves and begins to sink lord save me jesus reaches out his hand grabs him and lifts him up what does jesus say to him why did you doubt why why did you doubt you were doing it so as we know him he transforms our lives which then impacts our witness and guards us against the influence of the false teachers J.C. Ryle advised that what we ought to do is read two chapters of the gospel each day. Get to know him. Rick Warren says, ask the question, well he says, study the life of Jesus. Learn about your life, study the life of Jesus. Well that very common bracelet thing, what would Jesus do? Which can be dangerous if you don't know Jesus really well, if you don't know the facts about his life and so on, and what he is like as a person. But the more you get to know him, the safer that question becomes. What would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus say in this situation? As you get to know him, then you'll be able to increasingly reflect him. 
And if, obviously, we are to grow in grace, then we have to firstly be in grace. We have to know him personally. And all of it at the end, to him be the glory. He's the saviour, he's our Lord, he's divine. His name is Jesus, that's his earthly name. His name is Christ, that's his divine title, the Messiah. So he is Lord and saviour. To him be glory in all that we do, say and think. The glory that Peter certainly saw on the Mount of Transfiguration is where we're headed. So Peter says, make every effort to live godly because you know this world is going to end. Make every effort to share the gospel because you know God doesn't want anyone to perish and this world is going to end. And there is another world and there are two locations. One's really nice and one's really awful. One is with God and one is without God. Make every effort to be on guard against false teachers and error circulating. Make every effort to continue to grow in grace, in knowledge, becoming more and more like him. The Apostle Peter is at the end of his life because the Lord Jesus is holding, chapter 1 and verse 13, that he's about to pull up tent and to leave. Peter knows he's about to exit this world. He's moving on. And he writes, and so will you, and so will this world. One day it will all move on, knowing that we should live expectant, godly, holy, peaceful, and confident lives, because we know Jesus. That brings us to the end, I think, of this letter. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege we have of reading and studying your word, of being able to listen to it and think about it, to ponder it and to apply it, to apply your words through Peter to us. Lord, help us to be good hearers and practitioners of your truths, that we might live lives that please you, that certainly honour you, and that also reflect you to the world around us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.